So he says the whole law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. It's, I mean, this gospel is pretty familiar. It's almost like you read it, you heard it, put it into action, and I can sit down and you guys don't have to listen to it anymore, and that would be fine. Um, but the whole law and the prophets depend on these two, two, on these two commandments. There's something, something a little deeper that we get to enter into in the context of our reflection on this gospel today. The whole law and the prophets depend. It actually doesn't say depend. It says the whole law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And so we get to consider the one who is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, the one who is the word of God himself, interprets the scripture according to the will of God perfectly, the one to whom all of the prophets point, and the one who's frankly hanging on the cross. So it's the one who is the fulfillment of all of these things is the one who is hanging, so to speak. The indication that that gives to us is that the cross, our Lord, is the one who fulfills perfectly and completely these two greatest commandments of the law. And in Christ, hanging there on the cross, we see a perfect and complete love of God brought together in, again, a perfect way with total and complete love of neighbor. Something that I think is very worth entering into and delving into. Because we have to ask the question, why does it look like this? Every major religion out there has some kind of commandment that indicates this, like, love your neighbor as yourself. Every, every single one of them does. You can find it if you dig into their, uh, whatever they call scripture or their, their sacred texts. Because that makes you ask the question, well, what's, what's different about Christianity? Why is it that we have to come here every Sunday and do all these things? Something about love of God, the way that God asks us to love Him, who God is, and the way that He calls us to enter into a relationship with Him becomes absolutely essential. And ultimately what we're going to say as Catholics is that I can't love my neighbor in the way that my neighbor needs to be loved unless I love God in the way that God asks to be loved. It's precisely my love of God, my giving of myself over to God that enables me to love my neighbor in the way that he or she not only desires but also needs and requires. So what's that look like? You might have heard it said at different times, well, love your neighbor as yourself. You can't love your neighbor if you don't love yourself. Okay, I mean, fair enough, right? You might also uh, have heard things along the lines of, well, actually, we'll look at it from the standpoint of the first reading. It's a great first reading. If you don't do this, my, my wrath will flare up and I'll kill you. That's what God says. Love your neighbor or I'll kill you. It's kind of how it sort of, um, is distilled in the first reading, right? Isn't that, that's what he said. If you don't, I will kill you with the sword. Your own wives will be widows. Your own children will be orphans. God's pretty like, direct and strict uh, about this. Gives us a sense of how serious he is when he, can, when, he, when he tells us that we're called to love our neighbor and give ourselves to them for their own good. But that gets twisted sometimes. And it gets twisted uh, in, we'll call it the Catholic guilt complex. You guys know all about it, right? 
Uh, it's one of the one of the worst aspects of, of cultural Catholicism that I can think of. Absolutely terrible. And it's terrible because uh, it makes us turn so inward on ourselves. In other words, it gives us a false, it gives us a, a distorted and a disordered motive both to love God and to love my neighbor. It's, it becomes all about me in this, this sort of strange, twisted kind of a sense. And we all know that love is not about me. Love is about the other. It's a forgetfulness of myself and a gift of myself to the other. So that I'm not worried about being guilty or not. Let's be honest. Every one of us in here at some point in our lives has sinned. Every one of us in here is, was conceived with original sin. So, okay, the guilty part is taken care of. The whole point of Christianity is that because of him hanging on the cross there, I'm not guilty anymore. I'm freed from all of that guilt. I'm redeemed. And I can live my life in a joyful gift of myself, response to God in love, and also a gift of myself to my neighbor. So, like, what is it about this? You see, God wants to give us everything that our hearts desire. God wants to absolutely fill our hearts with joy and peace and goodness. It's one of the reasons that a sort of, we'll call it a sad Catholicism or kind of a negative way of living out our faith, when we project harshness or awfulness or all these kinds of things in the way that we live out our faith, it's just, ugh, it's unattractive. Our Lord was not unattractive when it came to the way that he lived out his faith, or his, his reality. I can't even call it faith at that moment, at that moment for him. But the way that, that he exists in his humanity drew so many people to himself. And so the way that I live out my relationship with God ought to have the same kind of an effect. So when I enter into my relationship with God, when I obey my God, when I love my God, when I, when I respond to his commandments, I come to him in a way that is first and foremost from the standpoint of my own weakness and brokenness, isn't it? Because think about the, what our Lord says at the end of John's Gospel when he's, he's telling his disciples to, to, go, uh, to, to go out. He's, he's preparing for his own passion and death. He says, love one another as I have loved you. In other words, love everybody else with, with, with divine love. If I'm just a human, how in the world am I supposed to love everybody else with divine love? Unless God draws me to himself and loves me first with that love and transforms me and makes me a son or daughter of God Most High and actually loves through me. It's a beautiful, divine, extremely high calling that we have received from God. And one that I utterly am unable to fulfill unless God is doing all of this in me. And so as I come to God in my humanity, he enables me to share in his divinity. That's the first thing he asks of us, is to come to him and to receive his redemption. Reminded of the good thief on the cross, as far as we can tell, has done nothing good in his entire life. At that last minute, the guy who steals heaven is a good thief. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It's all he's got. Lord, I believe in you. I accept you. Save me. That's all that he's got. And what does it enable him to do? It enables him to be poured out. 
Contrast him with Martha in the first moment when she meets our Lord. Anxious and burdened with much serving, the language of the scripture. Martha, Martha, here you are carrying out the second greatest commandment, serving with all your heart, with all your might. But it's driving you crazy. You're not at peace. Not because Mary has chosen the better part, to sit at the feet of our Lord and to listen to him and to be transformed by him, to be enabled by him to love in the way that God himself asks with such force in the first reading. So when our Lord obeys his Father, he's obedient in every moment of his life, even to the point of death, he's proclaiming to us a very profound truth, that love of God and love of neighbor are absolutely inseparable And the fundamental reason that they're inseparable is because God loves your neighbor a whole lot more than we ever could. And that God absolutely has your neighbor, our neighbor, my neighbor in mind as well when he asks me to love him. And so when he calls me on some level from, it feels like that, doesn't it, sometimes? He says, I need you to take a step back from all of the well, all the serving that you're doing in your life. And I need you to spend time, you need you to spend time with me. Your neighbor needs you to spend time with me. You need to be here at the foot of the cross. You need to be here receiving my love and my forgiveness. Because I'm the only one who can totally and completely forget himself on his own power in obedience to God and also in love of neighbor. If that's what Christ hanging there on the cross, if that's what total dependence, rather total love of God and total love of neighbor looks like, and my first response when I look at the cross is to, is to shudder and say, is, is that what you want of me? Well, then the first place I have to go is here, to our Lord. You may know the devotion, the beautiful image. It's over here on the wall of Our Lady of Perpetual Help. There's Mary holding the infant Jesus in her arms, or rather the toddler Jesus in her arms. And on either side there are two angels, and they're holding the instruments of our Lord's passion, nails, spear. You can imagine as a toddler, the story goes, he saw a vision of his passion down the road, frightened. So he ran to his mother, who picked him up and comforted him and encouraged him and strengthened him in that very human moment of our Lord. So then we too have the same consolation because we know our Lord asks quite a bit of us. And our, our Lord knows that we don't have the strength on our own to be able to carry out this commandment. And if we try to do it on our own strength, we're going to end up like Martha. We're going to end up elevating love of neighbor over love of God. We're going to end up falling into false models of loving my neighbor, taking away all pain and suffering. I think of, frankly, something like euthanasia as the example. We fall into sin to ending someone's life intentionally for the sake 
of getting rid of pain and suffering. That's love of neighbor exalted above love of God. Makes us ask the, these, these deeper questions. What is it about pain and suffering? I look at Christ on the cross again. What is it about that that brings a certain kind of meaning and gift to my life? St. John Paul II said it like this. He said, suffering unleashes love. And the reason it unleashes love is because when I suffer in order to love somebody else, what's, what's in it for me? I'm forced to forget myself. I can only forget myself, however, if I know that I'm already taken care of. You see, our Lord, in asking us to give of ourselves totally and completely to our neighbor, doesn't lead us into an empty abyss, into a, into a hellish destruction of myself. What God invites us into is certainly the cross. The only reason, the only way that we can go to the cross, though, is because I know that after Good Friday, there's always Easter Sunday. That the infinite love of my God, which is never empty, it's never depleted, that's what sustains me. That's what gives me the ability to keep on loving, to keep on going. It's the thing that's going to ultimately give me the eternal life, eternal joy and peace and happiness that I desire in heaven. And so, of course... He leads us first by example. In the face of those scholars who come to test him, this testing is like a, I mean, it's, it's, it's a malicious kind of a thing. Remember, think of uh, the evil one testing our Lord in, uh, in the desert for 40 days. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And all throughout Scripture after that, we've got these Pharisees putting the Lord their God to the test intentionally. That's what they do. So they test him in this malicious kind of way. He looks him in the eye and he says, you know what the greatest commandment is. You shall love the Lord your God with your whole mind, soul, and strength. And here they are not realizing that the Lord their God is standing right in front of them. Well, the Lord your God is going to be standing right in front of you here on the altar. He's here in the tabernacle. He's here in your hearts. He's here in your neighbor. The Lord our God is with us at all moments and at all times. And that's the call for us to love. I seek my neighbor's good. My neighbor's good certainly has some relation to the physical realities of this world, but my, my neighbor's ultimate, ultimate good, my ultimate good is union with God in heaven. And so this is what we seek. When we receive Holy Communion, we have a taste of heaven. Our Lord giving himself totally and completely to me, to strengthen me, to fortify me, so that I too go out and love my neighbor in the same way, with the same divine love with which God has loved me.